Hello and welcome to another episode of Clutch Football. I'm James Martin and I'm joined by Fabio Duarte. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Still buzzing off my selections from last week, to be honest, but um, we'll get to that in a second. First, it falls to me to explain that we'll be changing the format of the show from now on. Uh, We're looking at moving away from tips a little bit and going to go down some more kind of longer discussion shows, that kind of route, with a bit less regularity as well. Uh, So it's not entirely worked out yet, but we'll take the top discussion points of the month or something like that and get stuck into them. Uh, And we'll kick off a mini version of that on today's episode with a few recent talking points. We'll be touching on where Spurs and Chelsea fit into the title race picture, the future of Paul Pogba, and also some discussion on Chris Wilder. Uh, But we couldn't just abandon this week's recap, given that we're ending the tips on possibly the biggest high we've had on the podcast. Uh, So we started off with Chelsea against Leeds. How did you get on in that one, Fabio? Um, No luck for my value of both teams to score no, 5-4. to But a big win on the wild card, another defender scoring. Uh, Kurt Zuma, anytime scorer, eight to one, I think. So very happy with that one. Yeah, where's everyone going to get their defenders to score tips from now? We're moving away from the odds, man. It's a, it's a big loss to the the betting community. I mean, who who have we had in there? We've had Robertson, we've had Zuma. I'm definitely missing one. Lamptey as well. Tarek Lamptey, that's it. No career goals, Tarek Lamptey. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, a good game for me as well there. My value came in pretty cautious. Chelsea at 8-15. to Leeds took the lead but didn't last long. Wildcard was a big punt from me, but thankfully it came in. I went for an exact scoreline, which I don't normally do. 3-1 Chelsea and a late goal brought that in. So yeah, very successful game there. The next game up was the North London derby, Spurs against Arsenal. Um, my value here was both teams to score no. And for me, that did come in at evens. Uh, my wild card missed out Spurs to win by exactly one goal in the end it was two goals but one out of two for me there what about you same for me um, I went Tottenham to win at 19 to 20 that looked pretty comfortable and just missed out with a wild card uh, Harry Kane first goal scorer as always happens when I tip a first goal scorer he scores at some point but it's not the first one but you never risk yeah exactly uh, but unlucky nonetheless And then we moved on to Liverpool's game against Wolves. I went two for two here. Uh, So value was Liverpool to win to nil at 13 to eight. Uh, Cueving Kelleher keeping that one alive with a couple of big stops. And my wild card came in inside five minutes. Neko Williams to be carded. He got a yellow very early on and that was five to one. So very good from me there. How did you find this game? Uh, Not very good. I looked at Wolves for... For the value, double chance, Wolves will draw at 6-4, to four, not even close. And then I backed Fabio Silva anytime goal scorer as for him and his replacement and he didn't start. So yeah, no good there. Yeah, that was unfortunate there. He didn't get the nod. I think we probably all expected him to start. But in the end, Espirito Santo went with Pudence, Neto, Traore, which I suppose is one way of working the three of them in. Beat Traore right wing back, which he was experimenting with at the start of the season. Uh, but yeah, unlucky in some respects, but as you say, not too close with them. And then we move on to the overall wild cards. Uh, again, I've, mine's come in here, so I've, I've literally only had one losing tip this whole week. Uh, I did a fourfold accumulator of Manchester City, Liverpool, Spurs and Southampton to win at around 9-1. to one. Southampton 
required a fairly late goal to win that. And apparently there was a bit of controversy around whether it was a penalty, whether it was in the box. But Danny Ying scoring on his return to bring in this nice little winner on the accumulator. How about you? Yeah, that was very nice. Uh, I mean, I got off to a bad start, so it was dead after the first game. I also had a fourfold, 17-1. to um, Everton to beat Burnley with a draw. And that's a shame because the other three came off. Chelsea to beat Leeds, Leicester to beat Sheffield United and Southampton to beat Brighton. Yeah, unlucky there. Everton should really be have been winning that sort of game. But that just goes to show just how far they've dropped off since we had an Everton fan on the podcast telling us top four was was almost pursuing. Um, so there you go. Uh, unlucky there. But overall, a really good week to round off our, our regular tipping episodes. Lots of winners in there. Lots of big winners as well. So. Yeah, hopefully some of you back some of them because it's gone pretty well. And then the last thing we have to round up is the fan team section. So I'll give that to you, Fabio. Yep. Um, so this is going to be our last week of fan team. Heading into it, I was leading 9-7. Uh, so we had Mane against Jesus. James went for Mane. I went for Jesus. Mane got an assist. So he took that one. Uh, then we had Mateus Pereira against James Ward-Prowse. James went for James Ward-Prowse. I went for Pereira. That was a very bad call in the end. Pereira got a straight red card. So Ward-Prowse had it in the bag before doing anything. So that leveled it to 9-9. And then we had the same pick in the last one, which was Mope over Bamiyang. Mope didn't start. We were both wrong. And we finished 9 all after all of that. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Rounding off on a draw. Beautiful. Yeah, dramatic ends to that little series. <laughs> yeah, I did not think I'd pull the draw out of the bag there, but pleased to have done so. Um, but we'll move away from that now and on to the first of our discussion episodes. Uh, as I said earlier, we're going to kick things off with looking at the title race and specifically where Spurs and Chelsea fit into it. Uh, I think it's fitting to start with a Chelsea fan with this so I'm going to chuck that over to you yeah I was reluctant to accept Tottenham and Chelsea as title contenders at the start of the season and uh, even when we had Joel on the podcast I think it was we were talking about who we thought were title contenders and I think we all kept it at Liverpool and Man City I think at this stage I'm willing to accept that Chelsea and Tottenham are definitely in the conversation Um, I mean we're over a quarter of the way through the season now They're still up there. They're looking like two very strong teams. Both of them look better than Manchester City right now. So, yeah, uh, I think it would be remiss to discount them at this stage. Yeah, I can see why you'd say it, and I may be made to look stupid, but for me, until we get a bit further through the season, I'm still really looking at at Liverpool and City as the main two. Um, I mean, Mourinho would agree with me. He's cracked out his old little horse comment again about his his side as title contenders but um it's just if you look at I think it was last season it was around Christmas where everyone was saying oh Leicester they're right up there they could be the ones challenging Liverpool this season rather than City and then they just fell off completely and that that can happen so easily and so I feel like the best indicator is is to look at the more long-term trends rather than just who started well in the first 11 games. And so you look back over the last couple of seasons and the consistent performers have been Liverpool and City. So you have to really come up with a convincing point as to why 
well, well, what's changed to make the playing field suddenly level, not only with City coming back up to Liverpool, but then somehow introducing Tottenham and Chelsea into that mix as well. I mean, I suppose you could say with Chelsea, it's all of the signings. But what, what do you think about those signings? Do you think they really are that transformative to go from sort of scraping top four to the title? What I'd say against the Leicester point you made was that Chelsea and Tottenham have much stronger squads than them. So them better equipped to last the rest of a season, especially a season like this where there's so many games. Um, regarding Chelsea's signings, I do think that they are transformative enough to make them into title contenders. I was reluctant to say that at the start of the season, but seeing how they've all bedded in so well, I think that Chelsea looked like a completely different side. Yeah, I, I think Mendy was the game changer in that respect because you still look so shaky with all basically all the new signings in, but Kepa still in goal. So, yeah, I mean, fair play. That that was an astute signing in terms of taking the plunge and addressing the, the weakness, as it were. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, if I had to say one of Chelsea and Tottenham are realistic contenders, I'd probably come down on the side of Chelsea. Um, I take your point about squad size and, and depth specifically. That is true. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Liverpool have that squad depth as well. They've had their first-choice centre-backs out and they're still looking strong. They have a lot of attacking depth now, particularly with Curtis Jones coming through as a viable option. So, for me, Liverpool's second string is still a lot stronger than, say, Chelsea or Tottenham's second string. And as the first-team members start coming back in, Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's going to be back soon, for example. I just think the levels are are too different to to really put them properly in the conversation. But I, I will say Chelsea are more in the conversation than I thought they would be at the start of the season, and that that's for sure. I think that's the best I can get out of you, really, at this stage of the season at least. Yeah, come back to it after Christmas and maybe maybe I'll be more positive. But yeah, I mean, fair play to both Chelsea and Spurs for, for obviously very strong starts. So yeah, I'm not discrediting them. I just, for me... We haven't. We still haven't seen enough to really rule them into this title race. They, it's it's the onus is on them to prove otherwise. I think particularly with a key injury to either side, in the same way that Liverpool have had, for instance, or Man City, and you could certainly see them dropping off. That would be a real test of just how good their squads are, because right now Man City and Liverpool have suffered far worse injuries than either Chelsea or Tottenham. Yeah, that's a good point. And especially Spurs. I know we've been talking about both sides' depths, but at the end of the day, if Kane gets an injury, which he has been known to get a fair few of, I mean, I can't see Tottenham coping too well with that at all. He's just been so prolific in output this season. Yeah, I'd have to agree that there's no one that could replace the role he plays in that team. Okay, so I don't think we're we're miles apart, but maybe a little bit of, of difference there on, on exactly how viable Chelsea and Spurs are as title contenders. But It'll be interesting to watch it unfold, that's for sure. Uh, next up, we're going to look at the future of Paul Pogba at Manchester United in light of some interesting remarks in recent weeks. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about all of it, Fabio? <laughs> it's all a bit of a mess, really. I don't think Manchester United want to lose him yet. They're not looking to sell him. But all the power seems to be with Pogba and his agent. Raiola basically calls the shots. Pogba's not producing anywhere near the level they wanted him to produce. 
uh, Bruno Fernandes is pretty much filling the role they expected Pogba to fill. So I think it's in their best interests to just move him on, to be honest. Yeah, I can certainly see that line of thinking. I suppose the problem with that becomes when the when the agent's influence is so great, how much are United actually going to benefit from moving him on? You'd have to imagine Raiola will get a big chunk of the fee and United parted with so much money to bring him in originally. You'd have to imagine they'd be accepting a pretty substantial loss at this point. Of course, that, that's kind of sunk cost fallacy because if you don't think he's going to pick up performance levels and start really making that impact they want him to make, then there's no point just keeping him around because you don't want to suck it up and take the loss. So I can certainly see where you're coming from. But I do think he's been a bit hard done by, putting the whole agent thing to a side for a little while and just looking at Pogba the player. I mean, yes, he's perhaps underperformed expectations overall in his time at United, but has he ever been that far off their best player in each season? I mean, I know it's hard to remember this season because, and to some extent last season because there have been some injury problems and obviously Fernandez has come in and, and shone. But he has been playing in a very subpar United team and at times his output has been pretty good. Yeah, I definitely don't think he's been helped by plenty of factors around him, namely manager decisions, the squad around him's not at his level on the most part. But um, his performances haven't been good enough anyway. His changing role over time doesn't help. I think he's one of those players that needs everything ticked for him to perform at his best or he will sulk it seems yeah as I say I think Manchester United are better off just cutting their losses he's on what 300 grand a a week that's crazy money they could reinvest elsewhere in the team Uh, the defence needs reinvestment they don't really need another centre mid not an attacking one anyway yeah I think on the whole you're probably right. It is probably best for, for all parties concerned, really, if he's moved on. You'd have to imagine he may well thrive at his next club anyway, because, I mean, you look at his time at Juventus, you look how he plays for the national side, when he's happy, when he's relaxed, and as you say, when the factors around him are, are weighing against him a little bit less, he, he does still put in world-class performances. So, yeah, I think I think maybe for the good of all parties, we should be hoping for a move soon. And, and yeah, as you say, that money could then go towards the defence, at least in theory. Um, I suppose you have to then look at the broader context of uh, is the defence ever going to function properly when you have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the wheel, as it, as it were? Um, but I suppose that's a whole different debate entirely. Yeah, I, th- I think part of the reluctance to move him on because it, this has been coming for a while now. His agent's been making noises to leave for over two years. Um, I think part of the reluctance to move him on is that Manchester United are well aware of how much quality he has. Even when he doesn't perform for long periods of time, it's blatantly obvious that he could be a world-class midfielder. Yeah, there's just only so many players you can buy to unlock Pogba. <laughs> so maybe we've reached the limit. Yeah, I'd have to say we have. Fair enough. Uh, Last discussion point for this week. This could be an interesting one. Chris Wilder. Um, I suppose I should probably start here, given that I was a big advocate of his on our pre-season preview podcast. Um, It's fair to say he's not started well this season. Uh, I was predicting that they wouldn't drop off too heavily. I was very much wrong. They've dropped like a stone. 
they the only side yet to get a win, I believe, in the Premier League so far this season. So, yeah, there comes a point where you have to reassess. I don't think necessarily it's reflecting terribly on Chris Wilder as a manager because you have to look at past achievements as well as just this season in isolation. It's such a strange year for reasons we've touched upon. But, yeah, it may be the case that teams have worked out Sheffield United, if you like, there's a novelty to his tactics with with you know the much talked about kind of inverted centre backs, which perhaps over the course of a season you are able to sort of figure out how to counter that. Um, I don't know how much that is the case and how much it is you know a, a small squad suffering from from the the problems caused by lack of pre season and the intense schedule. There's so many factors at play and not all of them are Chris Wilder's fault by any means. But maybe I would revise my opinion a little bit now to say he's kind of a little bit stuck in a rut with that tactic. I don't know what you'd say. It's always difficult with managers who have greatly overachieved expectations. Um, There was a similar instance last season with Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. He did so well for the club, but at a certain point, it looks like they're stagnating and going backwards. Um it's difficult to decide whether that's the manager's fault or whether he needs to go. Personally, I'd give him a bit more time. It might be partly the tactic that's getting stale, as you said, but they've had injuries to key players like Jack O'Connell. Uh, they've had their goalkeeper, who was an integral part of their team last season, downgraded. And the other question is who would come in to replace him? Like, with all due respect, Sheffield United aren't going to get in world-class managers. I think the best they could hope for is a Nigel Pearson sort of figure who wouldn't be the worst option, especially to try and keep them up. I think Watford were too hasty in sacking him last season. He probably would have kept them up. So, yeah, he may be an option. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a, a valid name to throw out there. But with all due respect to Nigel Pearson, and I, I genuinely mean that because I think he seems like a really nice guy and also a really good coach for very specific circumstances but the thing is those circumstances are a relegation firefight if he keeps you up you don't then think oh brilliant now we've got Nigel Pearson for the whole of next season because it's not going to be that entertaining it's not going to be hugely effective over the course of a full 38 game campaign and at the end of it all you may well go down so I, I think you have to be very careful before making that kind of appointment and you have to wait for things to get really quite bad. I mean, the flip side of that is if you wait too long, then it's not going to be recoverable. So yeah, it's a balancing act. But certainly this side of Christmas, I really wouldn't be going anywhere near that sort of appointment. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Chris Wilder is the sort of manager that you'd want to take your club forward, who has a clear vision. Whereas Nigel Pearson is very much in the mould of saving teams, keeping them in the league. At some stage, that may be the appropriate solution to go for someone like him. But for now, I would stick with Wilder. Yeah, okay. And I suppose the risk is, if you look at a club like Crystal Palace, um, they tried something positive with, with Frank de Boer going back a few years now and you know gave up very, very quickly. I'm not saying that's the wrong decision because, to be honest, Frank de Boer's not done very well since he's left Palace anywhere. He went off to, Athel- um, sorry, to Atlanta United for a while which didn't end particularly well. And now he's landed with the Netherlands national team, which hasn't started very well. So I'm not saying that was necessarily the wrong decision, but 
that kind of firefighting appointment came in with um, with Roy Hodgson, and now he's still there. And fair enough, he's done well. He's kept them in the league ever since. But where, where are Crystal Palace going as a club? You wouldn't say they have a particularly progressive vision. There's nothing that exciting going on. It may be a little bit this season. They've they've slightly changed the mould by bringing in Eze, an exciting young talent. But even, even with him in the team, the side aren't really being that positive. So I think Sheffield United do need to be wary of falling into that kind of trap. Um, but yeah, I think I think Wilder can be grateful I'm coming out in his defence, given how antagonistic he's been about Liverpool recently. Um, some very bizarre comments about the Klopp's advocacy for five substitutes. I, I don't know why he's quite so dead set against that, given that he still hasn't managed to get a win with his three substitutes. You'd think he'd be open to trying something else. But um, at any rate, I do think he deserves a fair bit more time, bearing in mind those historical accomplishments. So that pretty much rounds us up for those discussion points. I hope you like the new format. If you have any questions you'd like us to cover, by all means, get in touch via Twitter or whatever. Um, we may well cover them in future shows. Any other feedback also welcome as ever. Uh, I mentioned Twitter there. Be sure to follow us at Serving Up Clutch. We have football and tennis updates there. Um, for now, this has been Clutch Football. Thanks for listening.